You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. All right, if you guys want to go ahead and take your seats. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Uh, We're continuing our study of the Ten Commandments. And this evening we're in the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now in general, we take names very seriously, right? Parents, uh, you probably spent a lot of time choosing the names of your children, right? You looked at baby books, depending on how old you are, you looked at websites, uh, talked to, talk to friends and family, uh, and you determined whether or not you wanted to name your kid after someone in the Bible or a theologian or a friend or a family member, uh, or maybe you decided that you wanted uh, a name that's entirely new to your family. Right? But what I'm getting at is you spent a lot of time uh, deciding what you were going to name your child, uh, and you probably thought through all of the ways that other children might be able to make fun of some of the names that you were considering, right? Are we sure? Corey didn't, but that's cool. Um, I'm kidding. I love you. And Aslan, Sebastian, and Dietrich, his three children. I I love it, man. You're bold. Um, (laughs) Right? But then you probably looked uh, at the initials of your kids' first, middle, and last names and made sure that they didn't spell anything that you would see on an arcade game's high score. Um, Right? And just an aside here. My sister's name uh, was Amber Don Dowdy. Her initials were ADD whenever we were growing up. And though she never had a problem paying attention, I always thought that that was hilarious whenever we were little. Um, Well done, Mom. Uh, But what what I'm getting at in saying all of this is that we take names very seriously. We take names seriously. Names are a joke for us. Um, And likewise, God takes his name seriously. He takes his name very seriously, and we see this in the third commandment. Kevin DeYoung said, and I think he's right, I'm paraphrasing him heavily, um, whoa, that is not in line with a regulative principle that we looked at last week. Um, (laughs) The other church uses that stuff, we don't. Um, Anyway, uh, my gosh, that got me. Um, Anyway, Kevin DeYoung said, and I think he's right, that whenever we look at the first and second commandments, uh, we look at those and we can see pretty easily why those are important, right? Worship God, the, or rather, rather worship the right God and worship God the right way, right? The first two commandments. But then we come to the third commandment and we think, okay, like watch my mouth. Uh, be careful not to text OMG or say anything foolish about God, right? I got it. That sounds pretty simple and straightforward. And we think that the third commandment sounds like a good reminder for us, right? Watch your mouth, But it doesn't really seem like something that would be foundational to our morality as the people of God. Often when we read the third commandment, again, we think it sounds like a good reminder. But why would this make God's top ten for the basis of his moral law? Uh, But if if we think that it's a small thing for us to break the third commandment, then let let me tell you, you are sorely mistaken. God takes this commandment just as seriously as he does idolatry and proper worship. Leviticus chapter 24 verse 16 says... Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Now, we don't execute capital punishment on lawbreakers 
anymore as the people of God. That was a civil law for the Old Testament nation of Israel. For us in the church now, we execute church discipline um, on people in disfellowship. Uh, But regardless, the point stands that I want you to see from that passage in Leviticus. God takes this commandment very seriously. And we, as his redeemed people, should take seriously whatever God takes seriously. We should seek to live in a way that pleases and honors the God who has saved us. So this commandment does matter for us. It's not a light thing for us. It's not trivial, and it's not something for us to ignore. But before we read our text and begin to dissect this commandment, I do want you to remember something that the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Paul said that the law of God is a tutor that leads us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. The law is a schoolmaster, the King James says. Our ESV says it was a guardian. Now, I want you to remember that because parts of this sermon are going to be bleak. Right? You're, you're going to see pretty clearly, I hope, that you break this commandment more often than you ever thought that you did. But the purpose of the law is to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation and forgiveness of sins that he gives And then Christ, in turn, points us back to the law to show us how we might live in a way that pleases him, in obedience to him, out of gratitude for his saving us. But the law points us to Christ as our only hope, and I pray that you would all see that this evening as we look at this commandment. Now, a good summary of the third commandment is found in the Baptist Catechism. Right? Let me just put this an aside real quick. Um, Use that. I know that every member household in this congregation has a copy of the 1689 Baptist Confession and a copy of the Baptist Catechism. Please use those. Use those. They're very, very, very helpful, especially in going through the Ten Commandments. And if you're new and you would like a copy of one of those things, please let me know, and we'll hook it up uh, at some point in the next week. But anyhow, the Baptist Catechism, question 60. What is required in the Third Commandment? Answer. The third commandment requires the holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. Question 61. What is forbidden in the third commandment? Answer. The third commandment forbids all profaning and abusing of anything by which God makes himself known. That's a good summary. And with that, let's go ahead and read our text for this evening and then seek God's help in prayer. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our holy God, we come to you bowing down to you in our hearts. We come recognizing that you alone are God and that we are a foolish and sinful people. Please instruct us by your word and grant to us that your Holy Spirit would enlighten our minds and soften our hearts and enable us to believe and receive what your word says. We confess that your law is good, but we are not. Convict us by your word. Lay us open with your law and then stitch us back together with your gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Now, as I said in the introduction, often we think less of this commandment than we do most of the rest. With the exception of the fourth commandment, 
uh, about the Sabbath, which we're going to hit next week, we probably think next to that the least about the third commandment. Um, and maybe because it's, it, people, it's because people think it's the easiest one to keep, right? Just don't say God, right, in, in anything but a reverent way. And that, that much is true. But sometimes people think this is the easiest one to keep or that it's of no real consequence if we break it, right? Tell me you haven't met people that think like this, and maybe you have, right? Everyone breaks it sometimes. Therefore, it's not that big of a deal if I break it. Right? Like we think that there's safety with sin so long as a lot of people sin with us. And that's really, really, really stupid. Um, but before we get rolling on this commandment, I want us to think about why this commandment is so serious. Why it's such a big deal to God that we keep this commandment. Right? And in order to do that, we need to think about who it really is that we're talking about when we take the name of God upon our lips. We have to look at who is God before we understand the weight of this commandment. Right? Who are we talking about? What is he like? We've got to see this first if we're going to appreciate this. So when we talk about God, we're talking about the God of the Bible. Yahweh is his name. His name means to be. When he first revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, he said that his name is I am. Meaning I am that I am. Or I will be what I will be. He's pure being. That is to say that when we're talking about God, we're talking about the one who exists, or rather subsists, in and of himself. The one who was before anything else existed. The one who would still be if all else were to disappear. He is the only one who has no beginning, no middle, and no end. He is the eternal one. Who Moses says in Psalm 90, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's pure being, the eternal one. When we talk about God, we're talking about the one who is creator. Who spoke everything into existence by the word of his power. Read Genesis 1 and think about how amazing it is. He spoke and it was, that constant refrain. He's the one through whom everything was created. And as John tells us, apart from him, nothing exists that exists He's the one who holds all of existence together by the power of his will. He's the one who gives life to whom he will, the author of life and death and who takes life whenever he wills. When we talk about God, we're talking about the sovereign of the universe, the unrivaled king, the one who has sole authority over everything, the one before whom all of creation must bow. He is the supreme one. Nothing happens apart from his decree. There's not one molecule in the universe that does not submit to his sovereign will. He is the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present ruler and king of kings. He's the sovereign. When we take the name of God on our lips, we're talking about the Holy One. The one who hates sin in every form and will have no part in sin. The one who never does wrong and is righteous in everything that he says and in everything that he does. He's the one who is the judge of all mankind. Who will judge the world in holiness and righteousness. And who will by no means acquit the guilty apart from the righteousness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about the transcendent God who Paul says dwells in unapproachable light and is high above the heavens and the earth. When we talk about God, we're talking about the God of wrath. The one who executes holy justice and fierce vengeance upon his enemies. 
The one who has prepared hell for those who rebel against him. The one of whom it is said in scripture, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. To fall under his condemnation. But when we speak of the Lord, we're also speaking of the God who is love. The one who is full of steadfast love and compassion for all of his people. The one who doesn't abandon his people even though we sin against him. The one who takes us back time and time again. Is this not our God, Christian? We're talking about the one who is the faithful husband of his people. Who takes care of us and shows constant mercy to us. We're talking about the God of all patience. Who never discards us. Who is patient with us as we follow him and fail over and over again. The one who keeps covenant with us. And is faithful to his word and his promises. When we talk about God, we're talking about the one who has revealed himself as father. And a good father takes care of his children. And does good for them. And never harms them. Though he may discipline them and teach them. We're speaking of the one who gives us every good and perfect thing that we have. The great gift giver and lover of his people. And when we talk about God... We're talking about the one who is the redeemer and savior of sinners. The triune God who has willed our salvation, taken on flesh to accomplish it through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and who has applied the work of Christ to those who were once dead in their sins. We're talking about the God of our salvation. Right? The God of our salvation who has forgiven us of our sins and freed us from the power of sin, and given us the gift of faith, and made us into new creations, and is sanctifying us, and promises to keep and sustain us until we finish our lives here on earth and go to be with him for eternity. This is the God who rightfully says, to whom will you compare me? To whom will you compare him? There is none like this God. And I know that that's been a constant theme in my last few sermons, but I really want you to see that. If our hearts would be captivated with the thought that there is no God like Yahweh, our whole life would change. I'm convinced of it. We would delight in Him. We really would see Him as supreme. If we could get it into our heads and down into our hearts that there is no one like Him. This is who we're talking about when we name the name of God. This is who we're talking about. And listen, we've not even scratched the surface. I spent, what, five minutes? Six minutes on that? We've not even scratched the surface on who God is and what he's like. I want us to see this first, though. I just want us to get a glimpse of who it is that we're talking about so that we can then see that he is worthy of our utmost respect and honor and love and devotion and whatever else he might require of us. If we don't see who we're talking about first, then this commandment won't make much sense to us. He is worthy. He is God. Do you see this? This is the one that we're talking about when we take his name upon our lips. The one that has no rival and no equal. But let's look back at the commandment itself and dig into it, right? The commandment says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That has a little bit more weight now, doesn't it? 
that we've thought for a moment about who is God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now to understand what's being forbidden here, we need to understand three things. One, what the name of God means. Two, we need to understand what it means to take the name of God. And thirdly, we need to understand what the word vain means. So we can string it all together and see exactly what's being forbidden here. First, the name of God. Most of the time, whenever we think of God's name, we think of the letters that when placed together make a sound that we associate with God. <laughs> right? G-O-D, God. Y-A-H-W-E-H, Yahweh. Right? J-E-S-U-S, Jesus. Right? And that's certainly true. Right? Certainly true. Those are some of the names of God. Right? Um, what he's referred to and what he's revealed that we should call him, what he goes by, right? And nobody would dispute that. The, the name of God in this commandment definitely includes the names, titles, and attributes of God for certain. But that is not all that's meant when God speaks of his name. It's much more than just what we refer to him as. Name in the scriptures is often a reference to the whole person and their reputation, this is most often how the word name is used in the Bible. I'll give you a few examples. Psalm 20, verse 1, the second half, the psalmist says, May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May his name protect you. Now, the name of God isn't magic, right? The psalmist is not saying that if you just say the name of God, uh, that, that the person is going to be protected. Rather, the name of God stands in for God himself. When he says, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you, he's saying, may the God of Jacob himself protect you. So name means the whole person of God. Again, we see this in John chapter 1, verse 12, about the Lord Jesus Christ. But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The reference here doesn't mean that all those who believe in the verbal name of Jesus uh, became the sons of God. No, it's saying rather that they believed in Jesus himself and became the sons of God. Right? Again, so the name of someone represents the whole person. Uh, Isaiah chapter 48, 11. God says, for my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. And here God says that he shows mercy to Israel. Why? For the sake of his name. For how should my name be profaned? So God is saying that he is going to save Israel for the sake of his reputation. So again, his name is his reputation. His name represents the whole person of God. But not only that, name, the name of God can also mean the whole system of revealed truth and true religion that we find in the scriptures. And I'd like to thank an old dead Puritan for that definition. <laughs> the whole system of revealed truth and true religion that we find in the scriptures. Right? The truth about God, his word, his will, his commands, the law, and everything like that. Let me give you some examples of the Bible doing that. John 17, verse 6. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Here Jesus confesses that he has shown his people what God is like. And has taught them what true religion consists of. He's taught them the truth about God. And in doing so, he has made manifest the name of God. Micah chapter 4 verse 5. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So again, names. Here Micah is saying that the pagans walk 
in the ways and alleged truth of their false gods. They walk in the name of their gods, but we, God's people, walk in the name of our God. We walk in his ways, his truth, what he's revealed to us. Right, so to give a quick summary of what God's name is, and I know that maybe seemed a little bit uh, tedious, but I, I had a reason for that. We can see that God's name is anything that he reveals that he is to be called, his word, his truth, the scriptures, and the entirety of his person and reputation is implied by the name of God. Basically, you can look at it this way. Anything to do with God can fall under the category of his name. Anything that has anything to do with him, right? Moving on, what does it mean to take God's name? This one's pretty simple and short. To take his name means to take it up, right? Primarily on your lips. To have God's name upon your lips or to take up his name, to take his name in worship. It's used in the Psalms that way, right? To lift up his name. It's to use his name, to speak about him, even to think about him because your thoughts lead to your speech, to think about God, to speak about him, to teach about him, to sing or pray to him, to read his word, all of that falls under this category, to take up God's name. To take God's name also can mean to bear it, to bear his name, right? That is, in a sense, to wear the name of God, like a badge, right? You affiliate yourself with God, and you profess to belong to him. You profess to be one of his people. You bear his name. We'll get to that later. But in a nutshell, to do anything that has anything to do with God is to take up his name. We're seeing that this is very all-encompassing. To take God's name in vain. I have, by the way, just real quick, I have no idea what's going on with these lights. Please forgive us. It's some weird thing. Anyhow, to take God's name in vain. This is very important here. Right, dial in with me. To take God's name in vain. The word vain means worthless, right? Think King Solomon in Ecclesiastes, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's worthless. It's common, of no real account. If something is vain, it's fleeting, it's mist, it's vapor, smoke. It's something that doesn't really have any substance. So to take God's name in vain is to treat anything to do with God as if it were common and of no real consequence. That it's just another thing and doesn't have any real significance to it. To take God's name in vain is to take up God's name in any respect whatsoever without proper reverence or for no good reason or without due thought to what it is that you're saying or without a real thought of who it is that you're talking about. Basically, it's to treat God and the things of God as if they were common things. It's to treat God and his works and his word as if it were not holy. I want you to see that when you think about the third commandment, I want you to think about the holiness of God. To break the third commandment is to treat God or anything to do with him as if it were not holy. Like it's just an everyday thing. Like everything else that you might encounter. So really then, this is a respect issue. This is a holiness of God issue. This is why God takes this commandment seriously, so much so that you could receive the capital punishment under the old covenant for breaking it. C consider everything we looked at before in the beginning. 
whenever we walked through, you know, thinking about who are we talking about when we talk about God. Think about that for a minute. We're talking about the one who has no equal and no comparison. And then to break this commandment means that we would then turn around and have the audacity to treat him as if he were common. To approach him and his works and his word with anything less than fear and trembling before the God of the universe. To break this third commandment, you would have to be out of your mind. You'd have to be completely out of your mind. To break the third commandment is a serious sin. It's a serious offense against the holiness of God. You would have to be a crazy person in order to misuse the name of God and treat Him and all that is associated with Him in an irreverent manner. And yet, here we are. Every one of us. Here we are. All of us violate this commandment more often than we'd think. Now, I just want to take the next bit of time that we have together to just look at the, a few different ways that we can break this commandment. I just want us to consider four ways, really, that we can take God's name in vain. We won't go super deep into all of them. We're going to glance at these four things. And I'm not saying that we all break this commandment in all of these ways every day, but I am convinced that we all break this commandment in some of these ways most of the time. The first way, and this is the most surface-level understanding of this commandment and how it's violated The most basic understanding of this commandment tells us that we break the third commandment when we use God's name in a common manner. And I mean verbally, to take God's name upon your lips as if it was a common word. Todd Friel, he's the radio host of Wretched Radio. If you can deal with his voice, he's pretty interesting to listen to. Um, He puts it this way. Have you ever used God's name as a swear word or an exclamation? If so, then you violated the third commandment. This happens all the time in our culture, right? In the West, right? There, there is no respect for God's name at all, right? Watch a movie, right? Or read a book or watch TV for seriously like five minutes and you'll hear God's name being irreverently used. Right? It's not very hard. You guys know what I'm talking about. And this, this even happens in the church on a regular basis, this happens in, amongst the people of God. That's what I mean. I don't mean in this building, although it happens here too, I'm sure. But amongst people who profess to know God through Christ, it happens amongst the church. And you know it's true. I've heard it. You've heard it. I know some of you do this in your speech. Maybe you're the one I'm talking about right now. Not just the one, but we, we hear these things. You guys know what I'm talking about. Something happens that someone doesn't like and they say, my God. Or someone drops something or something frustrates them or they want to exclaim about something that they hear. And then you hear God or Jesus Christ. Or this one, it's incredibly common in the world. People ask God to damn things that are even a minor inconvenience to them. They don't even think about what they're saying. This is using God's name in an irreverent manner. In this action, 
in doing this and in, in, in speaking that way, this person, whoever does that, the one who breaks this commandment, is saying that it is fitting to use the name of the holy God of the universe in order to express disgust or exclamation. What is wrong with us? What is wrong with us? That is to profane the name of God. And to profane something means to take something that is holy and supremely valuable and to devalue it by how we use it. To speak about God and use his name in a casual manner shows a general lack of respect for God and who he is. How dare we? especially those of us who have been saved by the kindness and love of God. How dare we throw around his name as if it was just another word? How dare we? Every time his name is upon our lips, it ought to be in some act of worship with reverence and respect for him. R.C. Sproul said, and this is a heavy paraphrase of what Sproul said, I'm not saying that someone is definitely not a Christian if they speak like this. But I do wonder how in the world someone who has been born again can use God's name with no respect and not feel guilt over it. God is supremely holy. And when we speak his name, it ought to be with a high regard and understanding of who it is that we're speaking of. Something that ties in with this is making jokes about God and his word. I'm going to keep it real. This one hurts. Right? Especially if you're like me and you like to make people laugh. Right? I know many of you guys like to make people laugh and like to joke around. And there's nothing wrong with laughter. Right? There's nothing wrong with being light about some things. There's nothing wrong with jokes. Right? I, whenever I read the scriptures, I see that God has a sense of humor. And I'm not saying that in like a sarcastic way. I'm saying that because the Bible uses literary devices that make you laugh sometimes. Right? And God inspired them. But to take the eternal truths of the word of God and turn them into fodder for your jokes is not acceptable. It shows irreverence for the things of God. To spend time joking about any aspect of our God or his word, works, and person is out of bounds for the people of God. Again, we must at all times honor our God as holy and show him proper respect. To do anything less is to profane his name. And if we show no respect for God at the most surface level understanding of this commandment, if we show no respect for God verbally when we speak his name, what does that reveal about our general attitude towards him? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's what our Lord Jesus says. Second, we can break this third commandment when we, what Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said, murmur against God's providences. And what that means is to accuse God of wrongdoing whenever he allows something to happen to you that you don't like. Everything that happens is a cause of God's providence. He's the first cause of all things. So whenever something good or bad happens to you, it's a matter of God's providence allowing it to happen to you. Whenever we accuse God of wrongdoing, whenever he allows his providence to bring something painful upon us, we break the third commandment. And this happens often. Again, God allows something to happen to us or maybe one of our loved ones, and we immediately want to cry foul and treat God as if he's done something wrong to us. 
We begin to treat God as if he's in the wrong and that we deserved better than his all-wise and holy plan. Which, by the way, if you're a Christian, the same plan that sent Christ to the cross to save you, you would dare murmur against the sovereignty of that God because he allowed you to suffer. We can begin then to accuse God of some kind of injustice on his part as if he, the righteous ruler, had become a partaker of unrighteousness and had done us wrong. When we do that, hear me, if you do that, if you murmur against the providence of God, you are literally blaspheming God. It is blasphemy to say that God has done wrong. It is blasphemy to say that God has done you an injustice. It is blasphemy to say that God has not been kind to you. You're taking his name in vain. We never have a right to accuse God of wrongdoing, ever. I don't care what it is that we have to suffer. And I don't say that with, with, with a cold heart, right? We've all suffered things. We've had death in our families, right? We, we suffer many hardships as the people of God. But we never have a right to accuse God of wrongdoing or to murmur against him. He's the standard of all that is right, his word affirms over and over again that he is good and only does good. Furthermore, he tells us that regardless of what we suffer, that he's working all things together for his glory and the good of those who love him. How then could we ever shake our fist at the sky and declare that God has done wrong? How? Not only that, but every good thing that we have is a gift from him. So when we complain against his providence, you're saying... That God doesn't do good for you. When you can look at your life and see all the manifest ways that God has been good to you. That is lying against God to accuse him of not being good. To complain against him for any reason is to accuse him of doing evil. And that is to take his name in vain in one of the worst ways possible. Third way that we can break this commandment is to worship God in an insincere way. To worship God with an insincere heart. And you guys know what I'm talking about, right? To, quote, go through the motions. Right? You come to church, you read the confessions and listen to the sermon and sing the songs and take the Lord's Supper and all the stuff that we do together, but you don't mean a word of it. You don't mean it. And I'm not saying that there's some standard of, oh, like you've got to mean it with like this extra oomph, but I mean like there's no sincerity in your heart. And I don't mean that you're struggling Right, And you're saying, I'm going to attend upon the means of grace, though I'm having a very hard time, but Lord, I, I need help. That's still sincerity. I'm talking about a cold heart that is not in anything that you're doing. You're literally just going through the motions. I'm not here to, to crush a bruised reed. But you come and you do all the things, and you're just doing it because that's just what you do. You don't mean a word of it. You're going through the motions and keeping the forms of external religion and worship, but your heart's not in it. You're not worshiping, you're just there. And this doesn't just apply to corporate worship, this applies to private worship, right? Private times of devotion and worship where you sit in your chair and you offer up a short, cold prayer to God and then read the scriptures for five minutes and then shut the book without thinking about two seconds for what you've just read. And you've done it just to check off your list of things that you have to do. In doing this, whether public or private, publicly or privately, 
You're taking the name of God upon your lips and declaring his praises, and all the while your heart is far from him. You're distracted. You're wondering how long the service is going to take or what else you could be doing with your time. And you're not really attending upon the means of grace. You're not attempting to digest what you're being taught or what you're reading. You're just keeping up appearances and coming because you must and doing because this is just what I do to check the box. That is false worship. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 15, verses 9 and 10, he says, This people, he quotes Isaiah, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. When someone does this, they're vainly taking God's name upon their lips. They speak his word and his praises. They even take his supper, but they are not worshiping. This is to take God's name in vain, and that people think that God will accept this kind of irreverence and this kind of false worship as if God cannot see your heart. This is disrespect for who God is and what he's done. How can we, as the redeemed people of God, not come to him in sincere worship when he bought us with the price of the blood of his only begotten son? And lastly, we take the name of God in vain when we, professing Christians, live like hypocrites. Now, follow me on this. That might sound strange to you. Christian, whose name were you baptized into? The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You were baptized into the name of the triune God. Into his name. More than that, prior to that, more importantly than your baptism, you've called upon the name of the Lord in order to be saved, like Paul says in Romans 10. Christian, you are part of God's covenant. You are part of the new covenant. In other words, every day that you live and breathe, you bear the name of God. You bear his name as a member of his covenant. You bear his name. You took it on in your baptism. In every action you take, Christian, you are taking up the Lord's name since you are identified with him. Because we always bear the name of God then, anytime that we live in contradiction to that profession of faith, we are taking God's name in vain. Anytime that we do any action that violates anything that God commands that we do or abstain from, we're taking his name in vain. Christian, have you considered the seriousness of what it means to be part of God's covenant? Seriously. Have you considered the, the, the seriousness of that? How somber and sober that that is? Have you considered that God has brought you to himself through the blood of his son and has placed his eternal stamp upon you? Every moment of every day in all you say and do and think, you bear the name of the Most High God. How dare then do we participate in sin? How, how dare we participate in sin? How do we dare knowingly and willfully engage in the things that God hates? That is us making a mockery of the name of God and taking lightly the fact that he's brought us out of darkness and into the light of the kingdom of his beloved son. Perish the thought that we would intentionally sin against God and make a mockery of his name and make hypocrisy out of our profession of affiliation with him through his new covenant. Any sin, no matter how seemingly insignificant, is a profanation of the name of God. 
we're not taking God or his words seriously when we willfully go into sin. We're treating it as if it's something that's optional and that his holiness can be ignored. All four of these examples of violating the third commandment share something in common. They all reveal a heart posture that does not honor the Lord our God as holy. That's what they all reveal. We don't honor God as holy. They're all ways that we treat our most holy God as something common or ordinary instead of regarding him as the most high, sovereign, almighty, covenant-keeping holy God. And God hates this wickedness. He will not tolerate the profaning of his name. I think that the case has been made that this commandment is easily violated. Easily violated. It's easily broken. All of us, in some way, break this commandment more often than we realize, probably prior to hearing this. I've come to see as I study this, and I'm sure I'm going to see it even more, as I've come to study the law of God, His commandments are like glass. And I'm not saying that they're not eternal and that they're not solid, but if you press against them at all, they break. If you push up against God's law at all, it shatters. And it shatters in your condemnation. His law is so easily broken. We've all certainly broken this commandment, and I would defy any human being. Hear me on this, please. If you think that you do well at keeping this third commandment, I defy you to say that you show God the proper honor, reverence, and fear due to his name at all times. None of us. None of us. Maybe some of the time, but not all of the time. None of us. We're not even close. We are sinners indeed. And what does God say about those who break this commandment? How serious is he about this? The second half of our passage. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless. Please think about that for a moment. Don't just glance, like, glance over that. God is saying, I will not hold you guiltless if you break this commandment. What does that mean? God is saying, I will certainly avenge myself on those who refuse to honor me as holy. For those who disrespect me, I will get vengeance on them. I will not hold them guiltless. He will certainly condemn and punish those who take him and his names and his works and his word lightly. So why is it such a big deal that you've broken this command? Because God will find you guilty. What a fearful thing for us to consider. Right? God calling us to account for our lawlessness and disrespect of his name and his person. And if God Almighty holds you in guilt, where will you go? Where will you go? If the holy judge finds you guilty and his eternal unending wrath abides upon you because of your sin, what will you do? What hope will you have? Like, listen to me, I'm not here to give you seven ways to keep this commandment better. You need a Savior. You need a Savior. This commandment has been broken by every one of us, and on our own, we will have literally no hope because we are guilty, and God will not hold us guiltless for breaking this commandment. On your own, you will be condemned by God. You must hide. You must hide from the wrath of God. But on the day of judgment, 
Not even the mountains, if they were to fall on you, will you be able to hide from God? Where can you run from Him? Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the highest mountain, there is God. If I go down to the depths of Sheol, if I go down to the grave, He's there too. Where can I hide from God? You must hide in the only safe place to avoid the wrath of God. You must hide in the only place that God has appointed sinners to hide and escape from his wrath for their sins. You must hide in Christ. You must hide in the Lord Jesus. Like the hymn says, rock of ages cleft from me, let me hide myself in thee. We need to hide. And we must hide in Christ. We must hide in his person and work. You must hide in his work of atonement. Where on the cross, Christ took all of your blasphemies, all of your irreverence, all of your false worship, all of your coarse joking, all of your false accusations against God and your hypocrisy, and suffered the wrath of God in your room instead, on your behalf. You must hide in Christ, who was numbered with the transgressors, and suffered the punishment of God that was due to you. You must come to him by faith and hide in his work done for you. Christ is your only hope. Run to him. Run to the Savior. God sees your guilt. You're guilty. You need salvation. Run to him in faith and trust his death for the forgiveness of your sins. Trust him to cleanse you of your taking God's name in vain. Again, I can't stress this enough, especially with new people that's been visiting here that I don't know very well. God will not hold you guiltless on your own. But if you turn to Christ in faith, confessing your sins and trusting God's promise of forgiveness through him, then you will be forgiven and cleansed from your guilt. First John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come to Christ. Confess, trust him, and God will not hold you guilty any longer because Christ has made atonement for you. Get this phrase in your head, please. Christ is your satisfaction before God. And thanks be to God. He is our satisfaction before God. Christ is the one who makes us clean. Christ takes the sinner's guilt from them and makes them innocent and spotless in the eyes of God. Christ is our only hope as we stare down the barrel of the third commandment. Without him, God will take vengeance on us all. But thanks be to God, he's given us a savior in the Lord Jesus. And as I come to an end, I have one short piece of advice to give you uh, that I pray is an aid to you as you strive to keep this commandment. Put God in the forefront of your mind. <laughs> what I mean by that is, remember who it is that you're talking about. Remember whose word you're talking about and reading. Remember whose worship you're partaking in. Remember whose name it is that you've taken on in your baptism. Remember who God is and you'll be slow to break this commandment. He is the great God, the great King, the one who is with you always, the one who hears and sees, the one who knows your heart, 
the one who will judge all the earth. And he is the one who has shown you steadfast love and compassion and patience and kindness and goodness all of your life. He is the one who has saved you by the blood of his only begotten son. He is holy. He is God. He is Savior. And we must honor him as such. May God help us to keep this commandment from the heart as his newly created and forgiven people. Let's pray.